Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. Thanks for joining us on the Lifeline Defender Bible Study Podcast. I'm Randy Dolman, Texas State Director here at Lifeline Children's Services. It's Tuesday, March 14th, and today we will be continuing our study of mere Christianity. Today we'll be in Book 3, Chapters 9 through 12. Let's go. All right. I think Birmingham is kind of on here. It's uh, it's good to see everybody. We're going to go ahead and get started. Today we're going to continue uh, just moving through the book Mere Christianity. We're in book three, uh, and we're going to be covering chapters nine through 12. Um, today we're talking about charity, hope, and faith. And so far, I hope you guys are enjoying the study. Um, we, we've been going through just this one book that's actually divided into four smaller books. And remember, this wasn't a book originally written. Um, it was more uh, just broadcast over um, over public radio at the time. Um, in book one, he, uh, C.S. Lewis began by focusing on helping people understand what's right and what's wrong. Um, he moved on into book two and focused on, in light of that, what do Christians believe? How do Christians move forward with knowing what's right and what's wrong? And how do we believe according to that? Um, book three, which we're in right now, we're focusing on Christian behavior. And then uh, pretty soon we'll be in book four, which is the last book, and it focuses on theology and really what is beyond you and I. Um, so today we're going to go ahead and just continue talking about these three virtues of charity, hope, and faith. And chapter nine starts out uh, in, in talking about charity. And last week we hit on it just a little bit. I know as Blake led, we, we used that word a little a few times, and it really talked about forgiveness. But today we're going to talk about it in a different sense. When we hear the word uh, charity, you, if you're like me, you probably think about um, giving money to the poor. Uh, we use the word charity typically in that sense. But today we're going to talk even more deep, uh, even even more deeper about what that means. Uh, it's not just giving money away. It's not just being benevolent to other people. Uh, it goes far deeper than that. Charity means love in a Christian sense. And so that's what we're going to talk about um, just moving through this chapter. It's not just the a word love like I, I love you. It's not just a feeling that you get when you love someone. Um, it's actually um, even even more of an action that, that C.S. Lewis is talking about here when he mentions charity. Um, charity isn't this concept of how we should love other people. It's actually doing something because of a love for someone. Um, it's truly wishing good for other people uh, and pursuing that good for other people like we would for ourselves. Um, it's easy to love ourselves. Um, it's easy to to work hard for something we want. It's easy to fight for something we know is right when it's us. But charity means we should have that same um, just compelling and that same determination to pour into and to love other people in that same sense. Um, and he, he goes on to say that we, we have to think about how do we love all people? And he, he says there might even be people that you don't know if you can love. There might be people that are just hard to even like. And he, he has a cool quote that just says, don't waste time wondering whether or not you love your neighbor. Simply act as if you do. 
And what that means is it's not just it's not just pretending that we love one another. It's not just faking it till we make it. It says, don't sit there and try to break down whether or not we should love this person or if they're a good person or if they do this, then I'll do that. Instead, we should simply not waste time trying to figure that out as much as we should simply go and act as if we should. We have to know that uh, when we're behaving as though we love somebody, we'll find that we eventually love them. Um, he goes, he says that the more we serve other people, the more we find ourselves loving the people that we're serving. And so it's kind of a both and. Since we love one another, we should go and serve. We should fight hard to love them. Uh, and then he says that if, you, if that seems hard, if it seems like we don't know if we should, if we're not sure uh, how to determine whether or not we should, it says just go on and do it because we should. Um, being a kid of the 80s, uh, I, I thought about just this idea of how do we love somebody even if we don't know much about them? We don't know that we want to. Uh, and this is going to be kind of a cheesy reference, but if you are anywhere near my age, maybe it'll make sense to you. But in the 80s, there was a movie called Can't Buy Me Love. And um, this movie was a popular movie. It was one of the first times that we ever were introduced to the actor um, Patrick Dempsey, which if you are a um, Grey's Anatomy fan or a few other things, you'll know that he is known as McDreamy, right? Um, as you'll be able to tell over the next couple of pictures, this is definitely when he was more in the McNerdy phase. Um, and he that's very much the story of the movie. Um his name was Ronald Miller, and uh, he was a nerdy high schooler. And the, the whole plot of the story is that Ronald um, finds a way to kind of rescue the popular cheerleader, quintessential, just popular girl. Uh, he finds a way to kind of bail her out of trouble. And um, whenever he does this, he offers uh, this proposition to her. He says, hey, I'll, I'll bail you out of this trouble. Um, I will give you the money you need so that you're not in trouble with your parents. And uh, in exchange, all I ask is that you would pretend to love me. You would pretend to be my girlfriend. We would have a relationship and um, people will think that I'm popular. And so we see Ronald went from this guy right here with a handful of cash. He paid $1,000 uh, to 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 buy a girlfriend uh, and to buy this status. And uh, he immediately went from this guy we see on the screen, um, which was kind of an outcast. Uh, he had a small group of friends, but they were all just not the popular group. He paid his money. He immediately, I mean, as if snapped his fingers, became a part of the cool group. Uh, he hung out with uh, Cindy Mancini, who is his bought girlfriend. His friends changed, his group changed, his status changed. Uh, he was now known as one of the cool kids. Cindy began befriending him and they began uh, having this relationship so the school could see it. And immediately he became part of the cool group. Um, the story goes on a little bit more and we find out that uh, it was all it all kind of got uh, unraveled. We, we find out that one of uh, Ronald's friends gets mad about the way he's changed. And it comes out that Ronald essentially bought this relationship. And if you watch the movie, maybe you remember it. Maybe I'm the only one. I don't know. But uh, Ronald goes back from 
from this back to his uh, kind of ostracized, kind of nerdy self after everyone finds out that uh, Cindy was really only being his friend because he paid her to do so. So uh, everything comes out in the open and we find out that Cindy actually began to love and to care for Ronald, um, even though she was paid to do so. And even though it was kind of forced that she was going to be in this relationship with him, uh, that she finds out that she really related to him as well and that, um, that, that they understood each other more than she had ever known. And, uh, they had a real love and a real relationship despite the, the money and the arrangement. So, uh, with this, the movie ends with this scene where she goes back to Ronald and she says, it's not about the money. It's not about all this. Um, I, want to be with you. Uh, I, I loved you so much. I, I was with you so much. I enjoyed our time together so much that, that I, now I love you. Um, it, it's real. Now, again, not the best example, but whenever we begin loving other people, whenever we begin serving other people, uh, we find ourselves um, connecting with them and really understanding them and in, engaging with them and and not just loving out of out of uh, um, being made to, we're not being forced to love them, but we find ourselves enjoying it. And not only are we enjoying it, but we're also understanding better the love of our father. Hopefully you get to enjoy love like like Ronald and Cindy Mancini, but I do hope it's far deeper than that. The true Christian charity, it always leads us to true affection uh, to and for other people. Um, we're not saved by this amazing love of God to just talk about loving people. Um, we're not saved by, by the epitome of love to just think about ways that we should do it. Instead, we're saved so that we can go out and do that to other people. And the more we do it, the more we're going to find ourselves truly drawn to others. Uh, we'll have affection for other people. And in addition, we'll have affection just towards new people. So C.S. Lewis just goes on to remind us that the difference between a Christian man and a worldly man is that worldly men treat certain people kindly because he likes them. And the Christian tries to treat everyone kindly and finds himself liking more and more people because we've been loved by God. Even people that we couldn't imagine liking, hopefully we find ourselves stepping into their lives and, and showing pure charity to them. Likewise, the more charitable we are, the more we're going to find ourselves enjoying it. It doesn't mean you have to be some crazy extrovert. It doesn't mean you have to be over the top Bob Goff mode all time uh, at all times. But it does mean that you're going to find that you actually enjoy loving and serving other people. And if it feels a little hard or a little um, just out of your comfort zone, try to find ways to do it, even in little chunks. And you'll find that it's something that's not only um, great for them, but it's great for you as well. And this same context, concept is really true whenever we consider how to love God. He says that we're told that we ought to love God, but sometimes we don't really know how to do that. We don't know if we can. We think about all the reasons why we're probably not good enough to love God. We probably have done things too wrong for, for us to be able, in a loving relationship with Him. But then he reminds us we should simply act as of act as if we love God. Um, we should we should try to do things knowing that God loves us even when we don't understand how to love him back. Uh, 
So if you don't really know what that looks like, if you don't know how to do it in your life, uh, Lewis says, simply ask yourself, if I were sure that I loved God, what would I do? And then go and do it. If we're trying to do his will, and if we're obeying the commandment, you shall love the Lord your God, he will continue to stir this love and this desire to do so. Um, God is big enough. He's holy enough. He's gracious enough to see our acts of charity and to continue to stir our love for him and for other people. So if you are just trying to figure out what does this look like for you, just again, just ask that question. If I were sure that I loved God, like if I knew that the way God loved me and the way I loved God was where it should be, what would God be having me do and then find ways to go do it? So he moves on to chapter 10 and he he goes from charity into uh, talking about hope. And he starts by saying, hope is a continual looking forward to the future. Hope is one of the things that we as Christians get to do. I think everyone hopes for something. You know, we hope for we hope for a raise or we hope for our dream home or we hope for a, a great family or we hope our kids turn out right. We, we're used to hoping for things that we don't have yet. But the Christian hope is something that's far bigger, far more um, amazing. And it's something that we are uh, in a, a unique position to do. You and I have hope because of God's love, because of the way that he has pursued us, the way that he has given himself for us. And so Christians should have a very real and a very um, just excitable hope. It says that the Christians who do the most in this present world are those who think the most of our next. And it says that this hope isn't just something that we sit around and we long for. It's not just something that that we might see pan out one day. Instead, it's a hope that that leads us into action to do something about our current situation, to do something with our current reality. The hope of tomorrow should have us doing something today. Um, if you were hoping for a promotion, you would likely be trying to do things today to continue to just show your worth and your your motivation and your ambition to just grow if you were hoping to buy a home, you would probably start saving money or skipping Starbucks or doing whatever you could do now to just be able to, to put money where it needs to go. And it's the same with our faith. If we are hoping that God is doing amazing things um, in our world, if he is if He has given us uh, hope for eternity, then we should be doing something about it today. And Lewis just reminds us of that repeatedly. And he talks about these people that have gone before us and who lived lives of hope. And that hope made them be productive and to stand out amongst our world. It says that they left their mark on earth because their minds were occupied with heaven. And I thought, how amazing would that be to for someone to look back on your life or my life and say every day they lived knowing that they were secure in their eternity. Therefore, they they just he, he lived to the most while he was here. He, he did the most on earth because he had a greater hope. He served people because he wanted to share that hope. How can we um, make the most impact in our present world? And we can by thinking of our future world and hoping in that. Um, he has another quote. It says, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. But if you aim at earth, you will get neither. 
And it says, remember to focus on the things of God, the things that are to come, the, the goodness that he promises, the peace that is there. And if you focus on those things and the future and eternity that God has for us as believers, then we'll get to participate in the things of this world, too. We'll get to to see God redeeming daily. We'll get to be a part of this work and this charity that he talked about earlier because we our hope is secure in God. Therefore, we get to fully appreciate our days. But if we find ourselves just trying to make it through the day and just trying to to hope that we can just get through today and, and make it to tomorrow, and if we don't really know what the future looks like, if we're so busy at just the things of earth, we won't be able to fully appreciate and and uh, partake in that. And we also fail just to acknowledge just hope and future and glory. So he says, aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. And we must learn to want just what God is continually doing. We want we must learn to hope for what he's doing today and tomorrow and for eternity. That's hard for a lot of us. It's hard for me. Uh, we, our bodies haven't really been trained on to focus on what's to come. Instead, we, we tend to kind of dwell on what is. Here's my work situation, or here's my money situation, or here's my relationship status. And, and we just sit there and kind of dwell in that. And he reminds us that we don't have to dwell in those things. We can simply rest our hope in God and know that he is continually working in all of those situations. Lewis says that there's actually kind of three different groups of people, and this is how they deal with this feeling of being unsatisfied with with how things are. He says there's there's the way of the fool, and he says this person um, blames himself for the way things are. He says, well, maybe um, you know, maybe I could have done it differently. Maybe um, maybe I made the wrong choice. Uh, they move from place to place trying to find hope. They buy the newest things. They they try to secure the latest items and gadgets. They try to just find ways that they can just achieve hope. And he says these people are fools because those things are not going to sustain hope for us. And so he says, you might fall in that camp where you just continually try to achieve hope in little spurts by things that you're doing, or you think that you won't ever achieve it because of things you've done. He says, that is a foolish way of living. He says, there's another group that these people um, are just disillusioned. Uh, he talks about the ways of the dis disillusioned. And he says that these people, uh, they decide that everything is hopeless and fake anyway. They're very cynical. Um, these people learn not to really expect much. They don't have a lot of hope. They, uh, they think dreaming and hoping is really kind of a waste of time and they need to focus on what's going on right now. These people are your critics, kind of your squeaky wheels, the people that tend to continually complain about the situation that they're in and they feel that no one's there to help them. It says that, uh, he gets through his days and and this this person, this disillusioned person just wants predictability. It would be the best way to live if man didn't live forever. But what a pity to find out too late that common sense and all this logical thinking really stifled him living his uh, hopeful life. So he says, you're either somebody that tries to achieve hope on your own by just doing and, and producing and finding and buying and, and making, making these choices, or you're somebody who thinks that Hope really it doesn't exist. But there's this third way, and he calls it the Christian way. 
He says that you and I were not born with these desires for more unless God put them in our heart. And unless God put them in our heart because he desires to give more, to provide more, to do more. Um, It says if we find ourselves with a desire that this world can't satisfy, then we must hope that our satisfaction is not in this world, but in something bigger. And that's what we would attribute to God. He says that we must not grow weary in waiting because this world is very much broken. Um, if you put your hope in things of this world, you will not be fulfilled. You'll find that people will let you down. Things will break. Joy will expire. And so he says, but the Christian way knows that our hope isn't going to be fulfilled here in, on earth. Our hope is fulfilled through God and for eternity. So we should we should know that even on hard days, that we have hope in what God is doing and what he will continue to do. And uh, we should be excited about that, um, knowing that our hope doesn't sit like the fools who it it will come and go and it'll give us little glimpses of of good and then fade away. And our hope isn't like that of the disillusioned where it just doesn't even exist. Our hope is something that is from God and, and just continues to look at God in all things. And I hope should send you out to other people to, to share that hope with others. Um, if you scroll through social media, you find we live in a, a very hopeless society. People have tried to achieve things. People have tried to do things on their own and either they failed or they got let down and people have lost hope. People sometimes even look at the church and wonder where is hope. And so as Christians, I hope we fall into that third group of of people that say our hope is not here. It's not in the things of this world. Our hope is in God. Our hope is in the his will. Our hope is in the future that he has for us. Um, He goes on into uh, he goes from charity into hope and then he takes hope into faith, because if you're going to have a hope like that, then hopefully it it really stirs a faith within you to to lean into it to pursue that hope, to to trust in that hope. And so he gives us two definitions for faith. He says, first, the definition is accepting or regarding as true. You can have faith in things other than God. We can have faith that a red light is going to change to green. We can have faith that people will obey a law. We can have faith that our, our cell phone is going to connect to the cell tower so that a call can be made. We can have faith in lots of things because it's simply just accepting what we believed to be true. But he has another definition as well, and we'll talk about both of these. Faith is also trusting in the work of God. So that's whenever we take what we know to be true and actually leaning into it and expecting that from God. So the first thing he says is with this definition, he says that belief is accepting or regarding as true. And that is really where the doctrines of Christianity come in. Um, This is pretty easy to understand. We believe that something is true. Um, often after we've either thought through it or been taught about it, we use our logic and our reason and we, we understand basic truths and we have faith in that. He gave the example of a man going to get an operation. And uh, whenever you get an operation and you have to be put under uh, anesthesia, there is um, there's an understanding of that. We, we know that anesthesia uh, goes in through your blood. It gets in your system. It allows your body to rest and to relax. It it puts you in an unconscious state. 
Um, you can be brought out of anesthesia when the surgery is done. So he he said basically this man can understand and believe in the power of anesthesia. You, he can know that it works. He can have faith that it will do everything that it's supposed to do, and it's okay. But even though he can believe in that, even though he knows the science behind it, he understands how it how it works, how it's administered, how it's being uh, provided by professionals. He said, even though all those things are true and he believes it, there's still this fear that comes out um, when he's laying on the surgical bed and they're getting ready to put the mask on his face. There's still this this fear and this frantic feeling that comes out whenever he says, well, what if what if I'm not able to fall asleep? What if this isn't really going to work? What if I wake up during the surgery? And so even though he has faith, there's still um, uh, moments in which he questions if it will really happen, if it will really work. And sometimes we do that with our faith. Um, I don't know if you've ever just found yourself feeling super deep in your thoughts and just said, God, what if all this isn't true? <laughs> what if what if the, the, the cynics are right? What if I'm doing this wrong. And we just, we take something that we know is true and we allow our mood and our feelings and our circumstances to begin injecting fear and doubt. And so he says, faith is holding on to what your beliefs are despite the change in moods. There's going to be good days and bad days. There's going to be hard days and even harder days. You're going to be tempted to wonder. There's, there's hymns about like prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Just prone to leave what I know is true. Like we understand that. And so did he. he and he, so he said, faith is holding on to what your beliefs are despite the changing moods. And so he gave, he gave us a couple ways to do that. He says, even when it's hard, remember that you can hold on to your faith by recognizing that your moods change. Recognize it's okay to sometimes experience doubt. It's okay to sometimes wonder, is this all right? It's okay, it's okay to know that things are going to be hard some days and easy some days. Moods will change. And so recognize that and know that it'll happen. For us as, as believers, we, we often would accredit this to spiritual warfare. There's times whenever we know that we are being just spiritually attacked and we, we would sit there and just wonder, are we doing this right? And so he says, recognize that your moods will change. And then number two, he says, make sure that you keep the doctrines of Christianity in front of you regularly. So this means going to church. It's important not just because you get to be with other believers and you get to, to sing and to worship and to study God's word, but you get to you get to tangibly put yourself back in front of God. You get to be surrounded by other people who believe with you. So he says going to church is help, will help you hold on to your faith. He says, prayer, talking to God, your creator, will help you hold on to your faith. Reading scripture, um, studying the word, having accountability, like doing all of these things that are elemental in how we walk with God, doing them repeatedly will help you to hold on to your faith, even when mood and, and circumstance and situations kick in. And then he goes in, he says, if you can do those things, then you're kind of uh, acting in the second definition of what faith is. He says, now you're trusting in the work of God. And doing that is the most difficult thing we've talked about yet, he says. So like we've covered a lot of hard stuff in this book so far. But he says that whenever we talk about trusting in the work of God, this is the most difficult thing we've talked about yet. 
And I thought about that. Like, I think we, we could probably acknowledge and, 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 and be, if we were honest with each other, we could say sometimes trusting God to do what he says he's going to do is the hardest part about this whole Christianity thing. It's hard. I mean, it's hard for me to trust people I see, much less someone I can't. And so he says, trusting in the work of God is the most difficult thing we've talked about, but it's something that we have to continually lean into. And we find that God will meet us right there and continue to reveal and and assure us in that. He says that this is when it takes a huge dose of humility for us as believers. Um, It means not only that we're not proud, but we understand that that even though we're not worth it, (laughs) even though we, we can't earn it, even though we will fumble it many, many times, we have to be humble enough to know that God loves us despite all those things. And in light of all those things, God, God loves us. This step is making a serious attempt at just practicing these Christian values that God gives us to do, these, this faith that we're supposed to have. He goes on to say that as we put our faith in God and begin following him, we will try to obey the rules. Like, I don't, I don't know if you remember when, when you became a Christian, but I remember when I did. And prior to knowing God, I, I knew a couple verses out of the Bible, but um, I didn't know much else. And so I can remember coming to a point of saving faith and I immediately said, well, I'm going to start reading my Bible. I went home. I began reading on page one, Genesis, right? I got to about page five and I was beyond confused I was done reading for a while, and I felt like I had already uh, failed this whole Christianity thing. We have to know that it's not about how much we can follow the rules. It's not about how good we can make ourselves to God. We have to know that God is not looking for us to pass this test or to meet this criteria or to do anything on our own. It's the exact opposite. We have to come to the end of ourselves and allow God to work within us. And that means that we have to give up our pride. We have to be humble, knowing that you can't make it better than God desires to make it. You can't make God love you more, and and you definitely can't make him love you less. And so this idea of regardless of my actions, regardless of my past, regardless of how good I think I'm going to nail this Christianity thing, it doesn't matter because God has already loved me exactly how I am. So as we put our faith in God and we begin following him, we, we continue to try to obey these rules, but we have to know that we'll soon find out we're not able to do so. We won't be perfect Christians. We won't be perfect people. We won't always do the right thing as we wish we could have. And that's okay. Um, there's a couple cool quotes that he, he uses as he talks about this idea. And he says that no man knows how bad he is until he has tried being good. Um, I thought about that the other day. Um, I'm trying to just be extra careful as I drive and to not speed. Um, we moved to a, to a home a few months back and we have this road and it is just a notorious, like, uh, just place where cops hang out. I mean, there, you'll easily pass five cops going from here to our boys' school. And so quickly I learned, I mean, I need to always be doing the speed limit anyway. And so I, I said, I don't really speed a lot. But once I started traveling this road where I'm reminded that I need to obey the speed limit, I, I would continue to look down at the speedometer and I'm, I'm five over or I'm seven over or I'm nine over. 
And I, I, I never knew I sped that much until I start looking and trying to not speed. He says the same thing about our faith, the same thing about how good we think we can be. Another quote he said is that only those who try to resist temptation will ever understand how strong temptation is. Another quote, he says, you find out the strength of the wind only when you walk against it. If you lay down, it'll just go over you and you'll never know its power. And so he says all these things to remind us, it doesn't matter how on top of it we think we are with our faith. It doesn't matter how um, much of a list maker, how how type A you are, how, how prompt you are at things. He says these things will ultimately not always be successful. But thank God we're not held to that standard. Thank God we're not judged based on those things. We're given grace. And um, he reminds us of that. So faith involves having uh, a humility about it, knowing that it doesn't matter what you and I can and can't do. It's all the work of God. And so the main thing we learn from trying to practice this Christian virtue of faith is that we will fail. Um, this humbles us fully and understanding for our need for God uh, and, and, and his grace that he gives. Um, the result of genuine Christianity is understanding that we can't make the list, we can't pass the test, we can't earn the reward on our own. And so, thankfully, Jesus has, has come and made up for that. He says this other reality is that everything that you and I have Everything we do, everything we're able to do, every faculty of our body is given to us by God. So not only can we not do it on our own, not only are we not good enough to, to make it, not only will we fail, but we have to also remember we can't do anything without God doing it through us. Um, the breath that you take, the, the movements that you make, the thoughts that you think are of God and from God and are to, give, to be given back to God. And so he, he had another story. He said, imagine a kid, a, a young kid wants to buy a present for his dad for his birthday or whatever else. And, and he says that he can't even go and buy that present without first going and asking the dad if he can have money so that he can turn around and spend it on him. And he likens that to our faith. He says, you have faith because God, because God gives you faith. You have the ability to do things because God is allowing you to do these things. So we continue to ask God just to, to work through us so that we can work for him. He goes on more and he says that there are, there are a lot of things about Christianity. This is in the second chapter about faith. He says there's a lot of things about Christianity that you can't understand until you're already busy doing those things. He says don't stress when you come, to, when you come about things that you don't quite understand yet, like I've been a Christian for a while, and there are so many things that I can't fully explain about God. If God were able to be explained or if I were able to know it all, it, he wouldn't be a very big God. He definitely um, wouldn't be the God that he is. And he says, don't stress when you come to things that you don't understand yet. Instead, just continue along your way and know that God will reveal himself to you when the time is right, when you're ready. Maybe not even at all in, the, in that way, but God will continue to call you through those times when you don't fully understand, and he's faithful just to walk with you through it. Um, so instead of sitting 
across from other believers and just batting around theological discourse instead of trying to figure out what exactly it's going to look like and, and the, the, the specific day that God comes back. And, and instead of trying to think about all these things that we tend to, to just pontificate all day long, he says, don't worry when you don't understand that or when you don't know an answer. Instead, just continue walking in your faith because that's what we are called to do. You're not called to understand God which is a good thing. It should be a relief to all of us. He says, God isn't most concerned about our actions as much as he is concerned about the condition of our hearts and relationship. He says that our faith will grow. It doesn't, you don't have to start being saved on day one and already be what you're called to be. Instead, we're each day, we're, we're made more into the likeness of God. And he says, our faith will grow and in time allow us to become more at peace with our faith, with leaving things to God. I think we we come to a point in our in our Christian maturity where we find that leaving things to God is the best form of faith that we can have. Because if I try to leave things to, to myself or to my spouse or to, uh, to to anyone else, I would never be able to to leave it with certainty. I would always wonder what happens if they forget? What happens if they don't do it the right way? What happens if if they don't know, have my best interest at mind? But we don't have to do that with God. We know that God is completely an advocate and looking after the best interest of his will, of his kingdom, of his people, of his family. And so whenever we reach a point in our faith where we can say, God, I don't understand this, or God, I don't know what you're doing, or God, I don't know why I'm in this situation, but I choose to leave this with you. It is one of the most freeing and amazing experiences is to, to have that kind of faith in God. So whenever we leave it to God, it means all of our trust is in Christ. Um, that means that, uh, that he would, our, our trust is that he would show us how to be obedient in those situations. Our trust is that he would um, he would make us more like himself in those times that we don't know. Our trust is that he would share his sonship with us, that he would just continue to to uh, relate to us as his children. Our our, uh, our trust is that he offers something for nothing. He offers us everything for nothing, and leaving it to God is this recognition that we can't do it on our own. It's not ours to fix. It's not ours to figure out. It's not ours to try to piece together. It's God's work to be done. And us being able to leave those things to God is an amazing sign of faith and an amazing experience for you and I. And I'm sure you can think about numerous things in your life that you've tried or you, you, you're hoping other people can fix or you know that there's a route to, to make it better. But Ultimately, I hope you find yourselves leaving these things to God, to handle, to oversee, to do as he desires to do. You know, as we pray, we say, Lord, if it's in your will, we say, God, if you would just do this, if it's in your will. And and even sometimes I think those are given kind of uh, kind of hastily. We're like, God, I hope it's in your will that this happens. But there's this ultimate peace in just handing it over to God and just leaving it to him. So he reminds us that leaving it to God is not an excuse to be lazy. 
He says, just because God can handle it and will handle it and is going to do this, he says, that doesn't mean that you don't get to do anything. We do still need to work. We do still need to try. Now we can try in a new way, a little bit less worried, it does, knowing that it doesn't rely all on us. He didn't leave it on our desk and walk out. It's something that he's still actively doing. We can leave it to God uh, and just... We can, we, we aren't doing these things, uh, to be saved, but we can do it because we know that he's already at work in the situations. Um, he reminds us that we aren't hoping to get to heaven as a reward for our actions, but we're wanting to, to just act because we are starting to see heaven in our relationship with him. So he says like this idea of leaving things to God isn't happening just so that we can make it to heaven one day. We're actually able to rest in God and leave it to him because we're starting to see that he is true and he will fulfill his word. And then as he kind of wraps up this chapter, he talks about uh, actions versus faith. He says you can do good things and get far, but good things alone aren't going to get you to heaven. Good things alone don't make you a Christian. He says at the same time, you can have faith. You can, you can know that it's true. You can understand and, and desire those things. But the two things go together kind of like a pair of scissors, he says. He says one blade can be faith and one blade can be works. He said, and those scissors won't work unless you're using both. He says each of those blades are equally strong and do equal amounts of impact to what you're cutting. He says, so should our faith and our actions. Um, they're both necessary and they're both important and they, they're mutually, they work together. Our moral effort leads to our understanding that we are going to fail, which leads us to faith. And our faith leads us to do more good works. He says they work together to get the job done of being a faithful follower of Christ. Good actions alone won't buy your way into heaven and faith alone without works is simply a thought that isn't important enough to act on. You know, have you ever sat around and just had a thought that you knew was good? Maybe it was a good idea. Maybe it was a business endeavor. Maybe it was just something that you, you knew you wanted to do. And you thought about it. And you maybe even drew up plans for it. And you, you thought about it more. And you, you thought about how you could go about it. And then at the end of the day, you go home and you forget. And you never take action. He says, faith without doing something upon it is not anything more than just an idea that wasn't important enough to act on. Um, he, he reminds us of Philippians chapter 2. In verses 12 and 13, it continues and it says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to, uh, to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So it says, as you work out your salvation, as you go through day in and day out, having faith in God and knowing that he is at work within you, then you begin to say, God, well, then if you're at work within me, how can I be at work within your kingdom? How can my faith in you send me to do good works about you and for you and to others on your behalf? So this week... As you go about the day, um, as you go about kind of probably a busy week, I'm sure you'll have, uh, I want to just give you three takeaways. Um, number one, just remember that even when it's hard to love and serve other people, right? Even whenever we're, we're working with someone that's just hard to even like, or it's a hard situation, or we, we wonder what's going on in their head, even when it's hard to love other people, remember that we serve because God has loved us first and God has loved them. 
We're both image makers of the creator God. And if we do that, we'll realize that we actually might love these people too. Um, God will grow our love for others as we serve others. So that's the first thing. Just remember that even when it's hard, it's something that we will find joy in doing. Um, second thing, uh, walk through the uncertainty of today with a certain hope of eternity. Regardless of what you're going through, regardless of what deadlines you have, regardless of the, the wavering that we kind of wrestle with day in and day out in this world, whatever you have on your plate, walk through the uncertainty of today with the certain hope of eternity given to us by God. Look forward at what God is doing. Um, look and, and dwell on what he has promised and walk in light of that hope. Um, despite all the moods that will come up, you could leave the, the meeting room in a few minutes or you could stand up from your desk and, and go somewhere else. Uh, wherever it is, you could leave having hope and immediately fall into just a mood of, of a funk you know, like uh, this day is not going to be good. We can be thrown off by our moods. And so uh, I encourage you today to know that that hope can can supersede the moods that come about throughout the day. And third and last thing is today, find peace in leaving things to God. Find a way to to truly put those things in his hands, at his feet and, and leave them to him with no strings attached. Uh, and then celebrate that you get to be a part of whatever he's doing and bring, bringing redemption and hope to the world. Um, we don't have to do anything on our own merit to try to make God do something within his world. He's very much at work. So if we can lay, our, lay all that at his feet and his hands, then we get to just join in with that work and be a part of, of the virtue of just living faithfully. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study. Music